0: Morning. I'm so thankful that Pastor Paul has given me the opportunity to share this message with you. And as I was thinking about it, I was reminded of a time where I was coming home from college on Christmas break. I needed a job and I needed some money. So I decided to go talk to my ninth grade Sunday school teacher, Mr. Fortier. He was a vice president of a road construction company. And I knew that he would probably help me out. Now, when I asked him to give me a job for two weeks, he kind of chuckled. And he said, Nick, do you know how hard we work? Are you sure you want this job? I was like, dude, it's two weeks. I can do anything for two weeks. And I'm telling you, I spent two days moving large pieces of asphalt from one side of a parking lot to another. And by the third day, I could not roll out of bed because pain was radiating through every muscle in my body. It's the only time I couldn't wheel myself out of bed. Now, there was even a greater frustration with that job. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't receive any training. And our foreman, the leader of our little team, did not use words to communicate. I mean, never. And so whenever he wanted you to do something, he would just point. And so one day we were out clearing this road so that it could be paved. And we were clearing out and smoothing it over. And he looked at me and just started pointing. And I'm like, oh, what, are you, what are you asking me to do? And so eventually I just walked over to the area he was pointing and I just started moving stuff around. I have no idea if I did what he wanted me to do. And it went on that way for two weeks and I was frustrated. I was confused and I had no idea what I was supposed to do. And if I were to ask some of you You would probably, if you were honest, say that there are times, maybe even now, that you're frustrated and confused. You're not sure what to do. You want to faithfully serve the Lord. You come to worship. Maybe you found a place to serve. You even occasionally go to a group, and you know those things are important for you, but it still feels like something is missing. And you don't know what it is. If that's where you're at, then I think you could probably relate to the 11 disciples when they were walking to meet Jesus after his resurrection and right before he ascended back into heaven. I can see them walking and talking, confused about what was going to happen next. uncertain. Of what the purpose of their lives was going to be, having no idea what they were going to do. But at that meeting, Jesus met them right at their point of need in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. He met with them in the mountains of Galilee for the purpose of giving them authority, instructions, and encouragement on how to continue his disciple-making mission. In that moment, he gave them a purpose for their lives. And it's the same purpose that he gives for us. He wants us to continue that disciple-making too. And I tell you that it is the only task that you can commit yourself to that will give you a meaningful purpose for your life, In a way that completely satisfies you. God has called all of us to be disciple makers. That is the great commission. And in this text, Jesus gives us three ways that we can successfully make disciples. But before we dive into that, I want to ask you to pray with me one more time. Let's go to the Lord and ask him to work in this time. Dear Heavenly Father, We thank you and we love you. We thank you that you sent Jesus to die for us, that he rose from the dead, defeated death, and has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can continue this mission. Lord, I ask that in these moments, your Holy Spirit would fall on us and work in our lives. And I ask that you will do this. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jesus gives us three ways to fulfill the Great Commission. And if we do these things, He guarantees our success. The first way is to help believers get baptized. Look with me in verse 18 and 19. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here is the disciple-making command that Jesus gives us. To make disciples by baptizing those believers who have not yet been baptized. That's the command. This is not a command to share the gospel. And this is not a command to get baptized. This is a command to be baptizers. Now, Jesus could have said, go and make disciples by evangelizing. But he didn't say that. He emphasized baptism. And the idea there is that we should not stop at that point of sharing the gospel. That's just the beginning step. God, in this command, draws us into a disciple-making process. And if all we do is share the gospel and then walk away, we have been disobedient to this commission. The idea is that we take the next step with those who have trusted Christ for salvation, those who have repented and believed but have not been baptized, and we actively work to help baptize them. And that's the command that Jesus gives every single person who has trusted Christ for salvation. Now, there's this show on Netflix called Nailed It. And it's a pretty funny show. The idea is that the contestant is given this amazing looking cake. And then they have to make a cake that looks exactly like it. That's the goal. But oftentimes, the people making the cake fail miserably. So I've got some examples here. Look at this first one. Man, that is a really cool shark eating a surfer. But let's see what the contestant made. Okay, that is a shark melting in the sun. It's horrible. That is an epic fail. Next, we have this really cool volcano, dinosaur, jungle scene. That is a cake. Okay, let's see what our contestant did. I don't, that, that's like a catastrophic event. I don't even know what that is. Okay, let's go to the next one. A unicorn. And then let's see what our contestant did. <laughs> I, I, I'm speechless. Okay, I want to hang out here a minute. Because one of the things I noticed about this cake, it's as if they didn't include baking soda in the recipe. That's what makes the the cake rise. It's one of the ingredients that you need to have a delicious and fully formed cake. And I would say this that there are certain ingredients that we need in order to have a fully formed disciple. And baptism is one of those things. It won't save you, but if that's something you're disobedient to, if it's not something we're helping people do, then we will end up having disciples who look less like Jesus and not fully formed. Baptism is an essential recipe to a fully formed disciple. Uh, the apostle Peter models this and does exactly what Jesus told him to do in Acts 2:38 when he preaches his first sermon after receiving the holy spirit. Here's what he says in that sermon. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when Peter was faithful to the message exactly like Jesus had given it to him, something phenomenal happened. Over 3,000 people responded by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Repenting, believing and getting baptized. When we're obedient to the Holy Spirit, doing what He asks us to do to make disciples, He will use us to change lives. Now, Here's what discipleship is. Discipleship is helping people understand and apply God's words to their life. And baptism is one of those commands that we want to help people understand and then then practice. And here is a simple way that you can help. This is how you can help people take that step of obedience and get baptized. The first thing you do is you make a list of the names of people you know who claim to be Christ followers, but who have not yet been baptized. They've not taken baptism. And maybe you don't even know. You're unsure if they did. And so in this list, you then go back and then you ask them to share their baptism story. If they share how they were baptized, then praise the Lord, you're encouraged by the way the the Lord has worked in their life. But then, if they have not been baptized, I want to challenge you to explain to them four truths about baptism. Very simple. Here they are. One, baptism does not save us. Two, baptism symbolizes that a sinner has died with Christ and has been raised to new spiritual life, forgiven of their sins. Three, baptism is an initiation into the body of Christ, the church. That's one of the reasons we require baptism for membership. It's an initiation into the church. And then four, everyone should be baptized by being dipped all the way underwater after they have trusted Christ for salvation. So, it's simple. Create this list. Ask them about their baptism story. If they haven't been baptized, teach them those four simple truths. And then if they want to take that step to be baptized, just connect them with one of our staff members, and we'll follow through with lining up that baptism. And if you line that up, I'd be happy for you to stand down here with me. You can hold their hand while they go underwater. So first, as believers, we obey Jesus' command to baptize believers who have not yet been baptized. That's number one. Number two, we successfully make disciples by helping believers obey Jesus' commands. Look with me in verse 20. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read that primary command first, just like we did for baptism, but I'm going to apply it to the teaching. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations by, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The second command is this. Jesus wants all Christ followers to be a part of teaching their brothers and sisters how to obey all the commands that Jesus gives us in the New Testament. It's something He wants us all to do. And the emphasis is not on transferring information. The emphasis is not on giving information. The emphasis is on obedience. Because gaining a knowledge of Jesus without obedience is worthless. It's of no value. It's the applying God's Word to your life that changes your heart. If you get more information, but you choose not to apply it, you're just piling up the disobedience in your life. And so we want to train and teach people In a way that will encourage them to live in obedience to all of Jesus' commands. Now, I am not a huge fan of domesticated animals. Although I've got a puppy that I love. But I love wild animals. In their natural habitats, I think they're absolutely fascinating. I learned recently that these Weddell Seals who live in Antarctica, they are the only seals whose mothers teach them to swim. These babies are born, and they spend the first seven weeks by their mother's side. They never leave their mother's side for seven weeks. And their survival will depend on the way their mother teaches them to swim. And so what the mom will do is she will first start to withhold food for short periods of time. And that will cause the baby to follow her into the water. And so she will take her pups to swim 1 to 15 times a day, anywhere from an hour to 15 hours a day. And in that process, the baby seal learns to breathe. The mom will dive down a significant distance and be gone for about three minutes for the purpose of teaching that little pup how to come back and find the ice hole so that she can get out. And these these little pups aren't always strong enough to get out of the ice hole back on land. And so what the mom will do is she will use her snout to rake the ice to create a smooth ramp so the baby can slide out. And if that doesn't work, she will come up under him and push him out of the ice hole. And at the end of that seven weeks, mom leaves forever. And whether or not that baby survives will depend on The mom's ability to teach it to swim. God has made us in a way that we need each other to grow in our relationship with Christ. It's not just a helpful thing. It is a necessary thing. In the spiritual health of our brothers and sisters in Christ... Their spiritual development will depend on whether or not you are teaching them how to obey the commands of Christ. And it's so, we, we want to commit to this. 2 Timothy 2.2 lays this out for us. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The idea is what Paul learned from Jesus, he passed on to faithful believers who would then pass it on to other faithful believers, who would then pass it on to other faithful believers. And in the end, everybody would be benefiting From how the Lord had taught them. For how the Lord was working in their lives. You have something to share that's of value for other Christ followers. God has worked in your life and taught you things. In a unique way that will help me and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Grow in your relationship with the Lord. Now some of you may step back and say Nick. Nick. I'm not a teacher. I don't have that gift and I don't have that talent. But that's not what this verse is talking about. I like the way George Robinson explains it. Here's what he says. All this passage is teaching is that you would share what Jesus has taught you. How he has worked in your life. This can happen on a walk. Riding in the car. Sitting at the dinner table. It it can happen while your kids are playing at the park. It's simply telling other people how God has worked in your life. That's it. And as you do that, God will use you to help challenge others to live more like Jesus. And so there's no excuse for any of us. That's something simple that all of us can do. Just share what God has done in your life. One, we successfully fulfilled a great commission, making disciples by helping believers get baptized. Two, by helping believers obey Jesus' command. And three, by trusting Jesus to make you successful. Look what Jesus says at the end of verse 20. After he says to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. He then says, and behold, look, pay attention. I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is saying that as you obey my command to make disciples, my presence will be with you. And this is a promise to all believers until the end of the world. But this promise is tied to the command. And so, what he's saying is that when you are making disciples, when you are sharing the gospel, when you are faithful to baptize those who have not been baptized, when you are doing the work, that's when my presence will be with you. It's a promise. That if we're actively working to make disciples, that he will make us successful. And it doesn't matter how much education you've had. It doesn't matter what your social background is. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't even matter how long you've been saved. If you will trust Christ to use you, start moving towards other people in love for the purpose of helping them become more like Jesus, God will make you successful. That's the promise Jesus gives. In the last two weeks, Shay and I had the privilege of going with Mimi Henry to Tanzania to work with orphans. She's been working with these orphans for the last eight years. She developed a ministry called Mimi's Kids. And it's something that she has led, she has put together. It's incredible. It's awesome. We had a great time. Now, some of the kids that she was ministering to eight years ago, some of them are now in their early 20s. And she gave me the opportunity to be able to have a week of discipling these young men and women. And here's what I did. I gave them a simple method for how to study God's Word and to apply it to their lives. It's called the sword method. I learned it from my brother. I passed it on to them. And the purpose of the training is not just to teach them how to understand and apply God's Word, but the training is done in a way that equips them to do that for somebody else. And so as you see them sitting in their small group, that's what they're doing. They are using that sword method to teach each other how to understand and apply the Bible to their daily life. The translator Moses who's a faithful lover of Jesus came up to me after and he said, I am going to start teaching this to orphans and in schools all over Tanzania. That's the verse we just learned about. Pass it on to faithful people who will then pass it on to others. And by the end of the week, three of those students surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ and were baptized. All of them learned how to use that method to study the Bible and all of them learned how to train somebody else to do the same thing. That's disciple making. That's taking the next step in not just giving information but equipping people to practice what Jesus has asked us to do. There is a website called No Place Left Tampa Bay. And their goal is that there would be no place left in this world where there is not a church within walking distance to somebody's house and where these tools are not, are, are not being used to disciple another person. You can go on this website and you can find the sword method. You can find a video that trains you how to do it in five minutes. Along with other very, very simple resources. And you can begin using those tools to disciple other people. I don't think one of those videos that would train you how to do that is longer than six minutes. The idea is that you want it to be so simple that the person you're teaching can do it. I had students who were writing the sword method in the dirt as they were explaining how to use it. Think about that. You know what that means? That means they learned a method that they can use by writing on a piece of paper, writing on a napkin, or writing on the dirt. There was no place where they couldn't share that and help somebody else understand how to study God's Word. And apply it to their lives. I'm so thankful for Mimi. That ministry. And that she gave Shay and I. The opportunity to be a part of that. Look at Acts 1.8. Jesus said. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all Judea. And Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. Now there are about four or five Great Commission passages. Matthew 28, 16 through 20 is one of them. Acts 1.8 is another. And Jesus is saying the same thing here that he said at the, at the end of verse 20, that as you go out and make disciples, I will always be with you. But here he's saying that you have been given the Holy Spirit for the purpose of, of making your witness and disciple-making effective. That is the primary reason we have the Holy Spirit. That's why in Luke, Jesus said, I want you guys to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to stay there. I don't want you talking about me, I don't want you being a witness for me. I think it's one of the only few times in the Bible where Jesus said, don't be a witness for me. You just stay there and you wait. Wait for the helper. But then after you receive the Holy Spirit, you go out and you be my witness in your city in the region around you, and to the ends of the earth. You take it everywhere because my Holy Spirit is going to empower you, and he's going to make what you say and what you do effective. So uh, when you ask people about their baptism, you can trust that the Holy Spirit is preparing that conversation before you go. When you wonder if you're supposed to share the gospel with somebody, you can go in confidence knowing that God is preparing that person before you ever go. And when you speak the truth and love into their life, the Holy Spirit will make you powerful. He will make you effective. And He will use what He has done in your life to change lives. Amen. Yeah. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. But this depends on you trusting that Jesus will make you successful. So talk to lost people about Jesus. Talk to them about their baptism. Share what Jesus is doing in your life. And do it trusting the promise that Jesus will make you successful. That's pretty much it. Jesus gave them their disciple-making purpose, and then he told them, The way to be successful is by baptizing those who repent and believe in Jesus. By teaching what God has taught you for the benefit of other people in their spiritual growth. And then by trusting that as you go out and do that, Jesus will make you successful. That his presence will be with you. But I left out an important key. I stepped over it. And I can't remember ever hearing this passage preached and this being emphasized. But it really is the key to everything. And we find it in verse 17. Here's what Matthew let us know. They were walking into Galilee and they saw Jesus. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What that means is, some of the 11 disciples worshipped Jesus and others did not. And we don't know why. We don't know what it is. But what this specifically means is, they hesitated to worship Him. And I love what Jesus did here. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't get angry with them. He didn't correct them. He just moved towards them with love. He assured them that He was the God that had authority over everything to let them know that He was worthy of worship and He was the one who had the rights over their life. And Jesus is worthy of our worship. Worship without hesitation. And and He has the rights over our lives. But the reason this is key is because some in this room this morning, they don't want to make disciples. And you do hesitate to worship Jesus. And some of that's because they don't have a relationship with Jesus. So they don't want the things that He wants. And when we hesitate to worship Jesus, not accepting His authority over our lives, it affects our relationship with Him and hinders us from being the disciple-makers that He wants us to be. I remember my last season of Little League Baseball in ninth grade. I was on a team of the biggest clowns you had ever seen. Nobody took it seriously. Everybody was messing around. I remember times in the middle of games where the outfielder had to jump the fence because the other outfielder threw his glove over the fence. I remember seeing the infielders build sandcastles in the infield. This was not T-ball. We were 15 years old. We would make fun of the coach in the dugout the entire game. But at the end of the season, there was a dramatic change in our attitude and focus. Because we made the playoffs. (laughs) We had the worst team, the worst record in the entire league. So in Titusville, Florida, you had a league with three divisions. And the division you were in was based on where you lived in the town. And all that mattered was your record in your own division. So we lost all of our games in MIMS. We lost all of our games at Indian River City. But we beat the two teams in our division who were much better than us. And we ended up going to the playoffs. And we were like, okay, well, let's win now. And we won our first playoff game. And then we won our second playoff game. And if we would have won one more, we would have went to a larger South Florida tournament on a way to a state tournament. And we got to the ninth inning of that game and we had one out. One base runner was on first base and I was on third base. All I had to do was touch home plate and we tied the game. We had a decent hitter up, and our very best hitter behind him. So, the batter hit the ball to short center field, and the center fielder caught the ball, and the batter was out. Now, if you understand the rules of baseball, then you know if a fielder catches the ball in the air and makes an out, then the base runner is able to run to the next base after the catch is made. And immediately after the catch was made, my coach said, run! And I took off like a bolt of lightning. But after about three steps, I doubted my coach, I hesitated, and ran back to third. And the next thing I heard was, Run home! <laughs> and then I thought, man, I've got to go back home. So I immediately, six directions, slid into home plate, and in a close play, I was out. If I hadn't have hesitated, I would have easily been saved. Some of you are searching for purpose, and you're searching for meaning. What I laid out for you today really is that only purpose of living out Jesus' mission that will bring you fulfillment in life, but you even struggle to want that because you're at a place in your life where you, up until now, have hesitated to accept Jesus' authority over your life and worship Him. And if you will take that step today, then I promise you that he will change the desires of your heart. He will bring you fulfillment and purpose. He will change your want to and give you desire to do things that you never thought you would want to do. And I can't tell you that it'll make your life easier, but I can tell you that it'll make your life better. The only way you can do that is by going to God and admitting to Him that you're a sinner. Not that you're a good person who sometimes does bad things. Not a person who has made mistakes. But at the core of who you are, you are a sinner who has done things that is offensive to God. You admit that to Him. And then you believe. That Jesus Christ is God. That he died on the cross to be punished in your place. And that he rose from the dead. And that when he did that, Jesus satisfied God's wrath against your sin, provided a way for you to be forgiven and have a right relationship with God. I'll hear people sometimes say, I've always had a relationship with God. And I'm telling you, that is not true. God can't accept us the way that we are. We can only come to Him by repenting and believing in Jesus Christ for our salvation. And that repentance is an important part. The idea is that you believe all of this so strongly that you're so convinced it's true that you surrender your life to the authority of Jesus Christ And you make a commitment to living Jesus' way instead of your way. That's what repentance is. It's going one direction and turning around and going Jesus' direction. And the Bible says that when you do that, God will forgive you for being a sinner. He will begin the process of changing your heart and your life to make you more like Jesus and that His Holy Spirit will live in you To empower you to do that. And so if you're here today and that's you. you, You've not come to that place to where you're worshiping Jesus without hesitation. Then I want to ask you to surrender your life to Jesus today. And if you're here and you're a Christ follower. But you've never taken personal responsibility for discipling another person. Or a group of people then I would ask that you would take what's been shared in this message and repent for not doing that and that you would begin praying and asking God to bring other believers into your life that you can help grow in their relationship with Jesus. It could be meeting in your home, meeting at a coffee shop, going on walks, but starting to share your life and how God has worked for their benefit. To help them become like Christ. There are some of you. That I want to specifically challenge today. It could be anywhere from 75 to 100. In our church. Who have had the benefit. Of being personally discipled by another person. I've discipled some of you. Pastor Paul has discipled some of you. And then some of you have been discipled by those we've discipled. And if you have been formally discipled, if you've gone through that process, then I want to especially challenge you to find that next group to disciple if that's not something you're currently doing. I want to close close out by going back to those who want to trust Christ for salvation. If you want to do that, then I want to ask you to pray this prayer with me. There's nothing magical about the prayer, You're simply communicating to God what you believe in your heart. And the scripture says, it's that what we believe in our heart that's confessed through our mouth. It's that faith that allows us to benefit from God's saving grace. We pray this prayer in different ways at different times. So it's not about the prayer. It's about what you believe. So I want to ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. For those of you who want to trust Christ for salvation today, I'm going to pray the first part of the prayer for you, and I'm going to give you time to repeat that. And then I'm going to pray the next part, and I want to give you time to repeat that and on and on through the prayer. So let's go to the Lord now. For those of you who want to trust Christ for salvation, pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that you love me. God, I also know that I'm a sinner. That I have offended you. You can't accept me the way that I am. But God, I also believe that Jesus is your son and that he died on the cross to be punished in my place. I believe that he rose again on the third day. And that what he did is good enough to give me a right relationship with you. So God, forgive me. Come into my life and save me. Accept me based on what Jesus did. God with your help I commit to turning away from my sin and to following Jesus commands I'm going to ask that you keep your eyes closed if you prayed that prayer to give your life to Christ today raise your hand so that I can see you I want to pray for you I'm not going to call you out. And with your eyes closed, those of you who would be willing to accept the challenge to take responsibility for discipling another believer or a group of believers, would you raise your hand in the form of a commitment to be willing to do that? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God, we ask that you would accept these commitments based on what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And that you would help us to accept the authority that you have given us to do this work. And to receive the instruction and do it the way that you've commanded us to do it. And help us to trust that you're going to make us successful. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.